0: Hi, I'm Lawrence Delaglio and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions.
2: ES Audio
1: The Evening Standard Rugby Podcast with Lawrence Delalio, supported by Fuller's London Pride, official beer of Premiership Rugby. Support with Pride.
0: Hello there, I'm Lawrence Delalio. Welcome to the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, supported by Fuller's London Pride. It's been a enormous weekend of rugby and we've got lots to talk about. Luckily, here to help guide us through it all is our excellent co-host, Sarah Elgin. Hi, Sarah.
3: Hi, love you okay?
0: Very well, thank you. Very well. And from the evening standard, we've got Steve Cording. Hi, Steve. Hi, Lawrence. Hi, Sarah. We've saved the best till last, haven't we, Sarah? We
3: have indeed. I guess this week is a man who knows a thing or two, I guess you could say, about rugby, having spent 12 years as head coach for Wales and been in charge of the British and Irish Lions Tour, three British and Irish Lions tours, actually, not to mention his... Time coaching a certain Lawrence Delalio and the WASP team during some of their most successful years is Warren Gatlin. Hi, Warren, how are you?
4: I'm very well, thank you.
3: Good, you're in Wales at the moment, so you must be well, right?
4: <laughs> a little bit weird here, yeah, but uh, I'm here for the month doing some games for Prime Video and stuff, yeah, so I'm um, fantastic to be back. Yeah,
3: but you're not only here to um, enjoy the Autumn Internationals, which we will be chatting about, of course, but you're also here on a tour of your own. So tell us a little bit about that. You were in Swansea last night, how did that go?
4: Yeah, it was great. We had a three hundred odd there at the uh, at the Grand Theatre, and then Aberystwyth on Tuesday night, Claddagh on the fourteenth, and then Cardiff on the sixteenth.
3: And I'm very impressed. 12 Years in Wales has clearly taught you how to pronounce towns <laughs> down cities. I'm very, very impressed with that.
4: Oh, it's such a tough language to learn and pronounce. You've got to get your L's
0: right and your C's and everything, so yeah.
3: Well, that was very impressive. Lawrence, you've been taking the stage since last week's podcast, have you?
0: I have indeed. Very much a supporting cast for me. uh, Martin Bayfield, who has had a a similar sort of theatre tour. He's got a a very good book that's come out, and he's obviously one of the best um, after-dinner speakers, raconteurs. So he took to the stage in Richmond Theatre. When I said to everyone, I'm going to Richmond Theatre, they were thinking Christmas, Panto, maybe. Uh, (laughs) So, yeah, good fun. Talking about the days when England used to win, I suppose. (gasps) That's
3: harsh. Steve, what have you been up to since last week?
0: Fireworks night, obviously, on
5: Saturday. So uh, yeah, me and the kids went to a fireworks party. And then last night managed to catch up with a bit of The Jungle, which uh, Mike Tyndall's appearance. You must have been asked a few
0: times to go on I'm a Celebrity long, were you? I was actually, yeah. That
3: would have been a disaster.
0: <laughs> well, come on, sir I mean, if you can survive 22 years in the dressing room. Um, I'm pretty sure the jungle would be okay, would I mean, uh, I think, do you know the biggest problem I think we'd all have is just starvation, I think. You can't really dress it up. If there's 12 of you and someone comes back with only two meals, you know, you're really pissed off, aren't you, really? So uh, good luck to Mike. Do you know what? I think he'll do brilliantly. He's calm and uh, he's just a top man. So I'm, I'm, we wish him all the very best.
3: Okay, let's get down to business and put some questions to our guests.
1: Don't forget, you can also watch the full extended video podcast at londonpridebeer.co.uk. Please drink responsibly.
0: Well, Warren, I've been thinking about this for a very long time because you and I have known each other forever. When you first joined Wasps, I think in 2002, we had an amazing three or four years, but obviously you know you had Galwegians before then, Ireland, Wasps, Wales, British Lions, you've had a couple of stints in New Zealand. I mean it's quite unusual, it's had an enormous impact on your life, your coaching career and your families but also everywhere you go you've had an enormous impact on their lives as well. I mean if you were to sort of start at the very beginning, where would you say the the real highlights, you know was it Galwegians and then Ireland wasn't it after that? So quite early on you were coaching the national side already. Yeah
4: yeah, and coaching Connacht as well. Galwegians happened by, by mistake, it was the end of an all-black tour and they were looking for a player coach I think I was 25 and I was teaching back in New Zealand and I thought yeah well, I'm, I'm up for this challenge and so I resigned my job back in New Zealand and uh, stayed on there for about five or six months sort of as a player coach and you know we won the Connick League and I ended up doing that for four years I was kind of during the amateur days so I'd go back to New Zealand in between pick up a relief teaching job for a couple of terms and then if I was lucky enough I'd get selected for the end of year tour for the All Blacks and then head back to Galway and those are the amateur days so I used to get a brown paper bag every every month <laughs> to cover my costs and expenses and then have to go back to New Zealand and have a proper job. So it was a great experience. You know, I learned a lot, particularly as a, you know, still as a young player, but and you know, as a coach and I kind of went there. I remember going to my first training session and the manager said to me, oh, what we need for training? And I said, well, how many are you expect? And he said, oh, about 30. And I said, oh, probably oh, one ball between two players. So 15 balls and some cones. And there was absolute panic on his face because he told me afterwards he had two balls in the boot of his car and one was flat so he was going around every sports shop in Galway trying to get balls and that and you know like I said they were expecting about 30 players he failed to tell me that on the Tuesday night only six players had turned up so in those days in the amateur days, the coach used to arrive and say to the lads, you know, 15 laps of the pitch while he thought about what he was going to do for training. And I kind of changed things. And, you know, we just did lots of skill games and had some fun. Training sessions weren't too long. And uh, it was great experience for me. And then lucky enough to, when the game went professional, I was asked to come and coach Connacht over there. And then, you know, I'm coaching Ireland at 34. Ireland lost the opening game of the Six Nations to scotland and brian ashton was a coach and he resigned afterwards and i get a phone call on the sunday from pat whelan saying you know would you like to coach uh Ireland for the remainder of the six stations Yeah, you know, so at 34 not you only just finished playing years earlier and uh you know was i really no i wasn't probably but someone gives you an opportunity like that you don't turn it down
0: I mean, obviously, you played for many, many years, and I guess you took a lot of that experience of playing in, in New Zealand into your coaching. And obviously, you said as a teacher as well, it's quite daunting to start coaching players. Some, you know, some players that are even maybe even older than you at the start of your coaching career, but uh, you, you seem to take to it very, very comfortably indeed.
4: Yeah, a lot of them were older than me when, when I went to Norwegian. We had guys in their 30s and stuff. I remember the, I promised myself as a coach I would never do what I hated to do as a player. So I, ne- I hated long training sessions. And as a teacher, I taught sort of 12 and 13-year-olds. So... I kind of treated the players with about the same intellect as a 12 or 13 year old because, you know, in a classroom, what kids can concentrate for about 20 minutes. And so meetings didn't used to be long, you know, 20 minutes meeting before forward players started sort of rolling their eyes and looking around the room and things like that. So, yeah, it was um, good times, good experience, made some great friends and it was the start of a journey, really.
0: Your timing of when to move on to the next team or the next part of your journey has been, well, it's been decided by you more than than probably any other coach. You know, you're you're very much in charge of your own destiny. And in terms of your coaching style, two questions, really, you know, how has that developed over the years as you've got to work with with different people, different players, different countries, maybe different attitudes? And how have you defined your success as a coach? Is it by trophies? Is it by development? It's been an incredible journey, I guess.
4: Yeah, it is. Most of it's been my own choice. I mean, my contract was up in in Ireland after four years. And that last year, uh, we'd won six out of eight games. We'd finished equal on points with England in the championship, but lost on points difference. And you know, I had a meeting with Philip Brown, the CEO, and one of the other committee guys, and it was kind of a pretty quick conversation. It was just, you know, Warren, we really want to thank you for what you've done for Irish Rugby, but we're not going to recontract you. So I was, you know, pretty disappointed, but I'm a great believer in one door closes and another opens. I have never planned ahead, you know, things have always come along and then... Wasps came knocking at the door, and I thought that's a great opportunity. One, to go and live and spend some time in London, and then looking at Wasps in the bottom of the Premiership, and you're in the team, and I'm thinking, how the hell is that team bottom of the Premiership with the quality of players that they had? So, yeah, and one of the things that has always been a big thing for me is, and every squad that I've gone into now, and every time we came together as a squad, the first thing I'll say to them is, guys, you know, we're very lucky. To do what we do, we play professional sport. But the most important thing is not the rugby. The most important thing is your family, and that was a, a great lesson for me from my time in Galwegians. Because in January 1992, we had our first daughter, was Shauna. She was born there, and unfortunately, she was born with and bifida, and she lived for about four months. And um, at that time, Gorwegians were going through a process of getting promoted into the All island League, and it had taken us a couple of years. And we were just coming to the playoffs, and they came to me and said, Warren, you've got to go home, and you. Know, get your family settled back home and I said yeah but what about the playoffs you know we've got these big games coming up and they said no no your family's more important you know you to get back home and that really really resonated with me and so we got we went back home and after a couple of weeks things had settled down and things were okay and I rang the club back up and I said look do you want me to come back and play in the playoffs and they said would you do that and I said yeah and you know because of what they had done for me and uh, we went back and we won the couple of games and I was able to then get back to New Zealand. So that's kind of been definitely one of those philosophies for me in terms of the player comes to me and his partner's pregnant and they need a scan and they've got to miss training or anything like that. I always feel by giving, you know, giving something to players, looking after them, making sure things are right at home, that, that, that they're happy, then you definitely get more back from them from a coaching perspective. You get a better product, you get players who are motivated and players that want to perform
5: for you.
3: It's interesting, isn't it? Because more and more, I think, when we hear kind of coaches talk about how it's almost more important how you kind of talk and manage players as a coach. It's, it's as important as the skill sets and and the plays that you coach them on the field of play, isn't it?
4: Oh, absolutely. And I think that's, you know, how do you create sort of that harmony within a group? And you know, it always you know, people aren't always going to be happy with selection and stuff, but if you've got a group of guys that are working hard for each other and and wanting to to take the field of training and wanting to go out and perform on the weekend. Um, and I think that time at Wasp was a great learning experience for me. It was a great group of players. We kind of a it was a fantastic club because it was a it had a, kind of an ethos like a blue collar club. You know, they welcomed anyone in. They worked hard. There was no egos. I learned a lot from that experience. We were kind of a club of strays and waifs, so we just took anyone in. And, uh, and, and players performed, and and we we succeeded, and we intended to get the best out. The players and yeah and we had some players who were outstanding great individuals obviously with Lawrence and I've said on a number of occasions he's the best captain that I've ever seen in the game is unbelievable in the shared and motivating players getting out the best was, he was honest he put his hand up when he played crappy he, he was the first to recognize that and take responsibility for that you know so yeah i love my time in london love my time at wasps and yeah, you know, it's a shame what's happening to them at the moment but hopefully they can sort those off field things out
3: Moran, can i ask you a question that i think is um pertinent i for the time of year and where we are at the moment given that the world cup is ahead so i think it's a problem that maybe a few nations are, are having that of kind of bleeding youngsters in and still kind of keeping hold of their experience you know older players in their squad so how difficult Did you find doing that? And and how should, you know, I know Australia are trying now, aren't they? they tinkering with their team quite a lot. And that's a difficult balance, isn't it, to have really?
1: I think
4: at the moment, the Autumn Series is that opportunity to, to try a few different combinations, try some of the younger players, try a different sort of game plan if that's what you want to do. Because what you are trying to do is you're trying to build for the Six Nations, for the Northern Hemisphere teams, because that's when points are at stake. And that's when it really matters. And then you build into your warm-up games and then into the World Cup. So you've got a little bit of flexibility. Um, I think for some of the smaller nations and Wales are in a little bit of a, you know, they've got a few ageing players at the moment that are they going to be around in 12 months time? Is their form going to be all right in 12 months time? I think you probably look at Ireland. They've been a better team team two years out going into a World Cup, you know, have hit form and by the time they've got two World Cups, they've picked up injuries or some of their older players may have been, you know, just gone past it a little bit and and probably haven't got that quite right. I mean, they look incredibly strong at the moment but their big Achilles heel is Johnny Sexton. If he breaks down, you know, who's going to replace him? And he's a massive key for them over the next 12 months and them making sure that he stays fit. And um, If I was a new coach going into a a team without the sort of resources or depth of players, I'd kind of look and go well you know which of these players aren't going to be here in the next four years and you might look at changing your squad giving yourself and buying yourself a little bit of time from the public and the media as you're developing a new squad and knowing that you've still got those older players there that if you did pick up some injuries they can come back and give you some of that that experience so it's just trying to find that balance between how do you end up in a world cup cycle where you've got players who are fit players who have had enough games and enough experience to perform players that are on the fringes have also had time in the middle and have got some international experience and it's that it's a real balancing act and uh, I'm not sure all the teams have, have got that right at the moment. And the next 12 months or well, the next few months are going to be pretty important if they're you know, giving some players that opportunity, particularly if they pick up injuries. And you often find that you know, World Cups are so intensive and the, this autumn campaign is tough as well that you do pick up injuries.
0: We'll talk about the the results of some of those internationals in a little while, but in terms of your own decision-making, I mean, you've coached at every level all over the world. What's next for in terms of, of coaching? I mean, where do you go? Do you go to a club? Do you go to a country?
4: I've kind of got the itch again now to sort of do some. You know, my contracts are with the New Zealand Rugby Union, so I'm contracted to them with the Chiefs, and that finishes round about World Cup time. I've never had an agent, you know, from a rugby perspective. I've always been a great believer in what will be, and I've done my own contracts and kind of thought, well, this is what I think I'm worth and what my value is. I haven't planned ahead and not, haven't been there, but, you yeah, look. look, to be honest, I've had a few approaches, and, you know, a couple from Japan and people talking and, and a couple of other other teams as well. You know something will come along you know so i'm not actively looking i haven't got someone out there looking for me and stuff i'm just like i said to you i'm not worried about that and i know the right thing will come along and float my boat and i'll be you know excited about it
3: is there any team or any nation that you haven't coached that you would like to
4: <laughs> probably france at the moment
3: <laughs> we could talk couldn't we for the next half an hour i think with you um, but we've got to move on um and we're going to take a look at the mammoth amount of rugby for the weekend
1: the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast with Lawrence Delalio. Supported by Fuller's London Pride, official beer of Premiership Rugby.
3: We'll start with the good news. Red Roses securing their place in the World Cup final against New Zealand. Then we saw wins for Italy over Samoa, uh, Scotland against Fiji, Island, who beat the current world champion South Africa, of course. Then there was that thrilling win for France, who beat Australia, thanks to a last-minute try from Damien Penaud on Saturday night. I was there. What an atmosphere. I could genuinely go and watch French rugby every weekend. I feel like I'm in a nightclub. It's amazing. Um, I haven't been to a nightclub for quite a while. Uh, okay, but it's not uh, been a happy weekend for everyone in the Northern Hemisphere, has it? Despite um, the best efforts, Wales couldn't quite hold out against the All Blacks, Warren. You were at the Principality Stadium for that game, I mean, New Zealand looked pretty efficient.
4: Yeah, and despite their ups and downs, and they've had it pretty tough, and Ian Foster I've never seen, you know, I know myself you know, you get some criticism at times, but I'd never seen it anything like it back in New Zealand, with the the pressure he was under, and social media, and things, and they've changed coaches, and lost a home series to Ireland, and lost a home to Argentina for the first time ever, and then lost away in South Africa, so I think they had about something like a 50% win record, but they've actually won their last five games and people kind of probably overlook that and I think one of the greatest strengths of New Zealand and New Zealand rugby is how quickly they can adapt and change and I think they've been able to do that I thought they were very strong. They were really direct in the way that they played against Wales. Scrum was strong, dominated at, at scrum time. And they, their pick and go game and just able to get across the the gay line was pretty impressive. I thought Adi Savier was just on another planet, really. He was outstanding, caused Wales a, a huge amount of problems. But in fairness to Wales, you know, they were down 17 0, and uh, that was pretty early on in the game, and you're thinking, oh my God, this is going to be a blowout, but they they could have taken the three points of kick for the corner, Dyer scored a lovely try in 17-10, and they've kicked a penalty, and they've got themselves back in the game, but every time they got back in the game, the All Blacks have gone down to Wales 22, and they were just Absolutely clinical there. I think they came with a 100% sort of success rate coming back with points out of getting into the Welsh 22. So, you know, Wales, we disappointed with a number of things to work on and, and that. But there were times when there were glimpses of, of the All Blacks creaking. You know, and when they came under pressure and the score was getting close, you, you could see that air of confidence wasn't quite there within that All Blacks team. And, you know, Wales weren't able to score and put them under that sort of pressure that they needed to be under. Um, because the All Blacks didn't give away a number of penalties um, when, when Wales were able to keep the ball, but now in the end they were just too strong and then you know they put 50-odd points on them. Was It was a reflection of the game and Wales We disappointed with lots of things to work on. So looking forward to the All Blacks um, Scotland next week and then obviously the, the week after that big one against England should be pretty mouth at Twickenham.
3: Yes, Should we move on to England then? Uh, Sunday saw them run out against Argentina, who had won a Twickenham since 2006, I think it was, but the final score saw the Pumas beat the host by just a single point. Lawrence, in a word, can you sum up that game on Sunday and your disappointment?
0: Yes, I think the word worrying really is for English fans because uh, getting the campaign off to the best possible start is really important, particularly when you've got, you know, Japan and then New Zealand and South Africa. And I mean, as Gats has pointed out, you know, in New Zealand, they lost recently home series to Ireland. They lost to Argentina. It can happen. You can just have a really bad day at the office. But worrying from an England perspective, because in the Six Nations, we've lost more games than we've won in the last couple of years. And now you start the autumn campaign and you, year out for the World Cup and you start with a loss so don't think you can hide it I want England to win every game I'm not you know I work in the media I'm passionate about English rugby and I want them to win and and sometimes that leads you to say things that are a little bit more brutal in your assessment and people go oh that's you know you're just being you know quite harsh as as a critic but I'd be like that as a player you know not acceptable. It's not good enough, really, and I want my players to come out and and tell the public that you know to say, guys, we weren't. Well, it was not good enough. It's not acceptable, and we'll put it right next week. You know, put some pressure on yourself to perform. You know, Well,
4: was the problem with England at the moment? Oh, look, I I'm not too sure. I mean, like, the one thing about the message what, what I always tried to do in Wales, and I found this to be really powerful, was you know to control the narrative. You know, to let people know what you're thinking, what my plan is for these campaigns coming up or the next campaign, and like and I can't see that with. England I kind of think that you know there's the campaign and there's a change and then we're going to do this and we're going to do that and I'm looking from the outside not not 100% sure what what the plan is by keeping people informed when I was in Wales about for example in, in 2018 you know we went to Argentina and we left all our senior players behind we we won a series out there but that was the plan and then we've gone into you know this is what we're going to do in the autumn campaign and in Six Nations and first two games in 2019 in Six Nations we took 31 players away with us told the media that's what we're going to do we're going to replicate you know potentially what was going to be in the World Cup and we won the first game in, in, in Paris and then you know, I said I'm going to make lots of changes to the game against Italy I made 11 changes got criticized but we we were able to not play brilliantly but win that game with all those sorts of changes so kind of letting people know what you're doing and what your plan is i think can be a really powerful message and i'm not sure that that's always been the case with england they, they picked a really big team they went. They tried to overpower argentina with the size of the side that, that, that they picked and argentina aren't that sort of team that you can do that because they hang in there they're not going to beat you by 30 or 40 points but they'll stay in the fight and they'll fight for scraps and stay in the arm wrestle and and, and do enough to win and
5: Um, I'm not sure the direction they're going in at the moment and, and what they're actually trying to achieve. Eddie Jones saying he's not going to pick the best players, he's going to pick the best team, just doesn't seem to make any sense to me. I mean, the fact that he sent Caden Murley back home, he's by far, you know, the most informed winger that we've got at the moment in England. And we're watching week in, week out in the premiership some outstanding play and some outstanding rugby and it's clinical and it's cutting through and we're watching the offloads and we're just amazed by it all and then we see England go back to trying to play basically trying to blast Argentina off the pitch and it just it wasn't great to watch it didn't really seem to show a lot of dynamism on Eddie's part because he just didn't seem to want to react to the way that those players can play.
0: Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions.
1: The Evening Standard Rugby Podcast with Lawrence Delalio, supported by Fuller's London Pride, official beer of Premiership Rugby. Yeah, so I'm interested
0: from your perspective. You know, the best teams are coach-led, but they've got to be player-driven. We're not in a situation where the captain picks the team, like sometimes happens in cricket. But more often than not, you agree with what the coach is doing, hopefully, you know, because that's the coach's job, to kind of impair their philosophy on the senior players, the senior players then drip feed that down throughout the team. But as a senior player, you've got to go to the coach and say, look, we need to be in agreement on what's happening here. Why are you picking him out of position? Or, you know, Explain that to me, and then I can then explain it as the captain to the rest of the nation. Owen Farrell is a superstar rugby player. I mean, he's, he's one of the world's best. He's, he's the third most point scorer of all time. And I'm just not sure that there's, a, that, there's that connection amongst the group that, that you need to be successful. I mean, the game is tactical, it's technical, but it's very emotional and it's very mental, you know, and you, and you and I know that, Gats, and when you've got a 4 match series, you've got to come out the blocks fast. I mean, winning is is the only thing that matters in a 4 match series, the first game, because if you win the first game, the momentum and the, the energy and the confidence just moves to the next one. If you lose the, the first game, and England have done that in lots of Six Nations titles, it, it becomes really difficult as an international coach to turn that around, and I think the players, and I'm, I'm not looking at Eddie Jones, the players have to accept responsibility, but they have to do that publicly. I used to put my hand up and say, that is not good enough. I play well enough and I will sort that this week and you, will, and you will see the real me next week you know and a player like Itoji for instance I mean didn't even see him in the game you know he's one of the world's best players and I'm sure when they when they have the debrief they'll be discussing it but connect with the public and, and let us know what you're feeling it's so important
4: yeah 100% I feel
3: like I need to put you two Warren and Lawrence into a room together and just leave you talk for the next three hours <laughs> 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 oh, Should I do that, Lawrence?
0: Uh, well, don't worry. I love it. i
3: love it. I love it. Yeah.
4: Well, that's why I said why well, Lawrence was trying to get uh, such a great captain. Get- look how emotional he is it. <laughs> if this was their first day of training. He'd be coming in there, the eyebrows would be down. He'd be pointing fingers at everyone and. <laughs> Well, it, because you're of going what, off, then this, this is the kind of chat that he'd be having, and uh,
0: but, but life is miserable when you're losing. Life is miserable. Your your, your wife is unhappy with you. Your kids are unhappy. You. you can't go out and buy a pint of milk because you're so embarrassed with the blood. You know, the, the is saying, "You know, what's that all about, mate?" That's you know. Yeah. And and it's got it has such an impact on life. And in England, in that camp, they just think, oh, you know, us guys don't like it. It just has a huge impact. And I think yeah, that, well,
4: international rugby, there's no in between. It's agony or ecstasy, isn't it? That's the whole thing. You know, you win, you win. It's brilliant. You lose, it's you know, you're in the doldrums. The great thing about club rugby, you've got a chance to experiment a little bit and fail. You know, so. Because it, it doesn't all matter on every single game, but international, you're under the microscope. Everyone's scrutinising everything, you know, and you've got to go out there and perform and give it your best, and that's the reality of it. You know, There's a huge amount at stake.
3: Yeah, should we turn it to club rugby now then for a little bit? I think I feel like Lawrence wants. <laughs>
0: please do, please do. Although yeah. well, that's that's it's still as depressing for me as anything else as well. So. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll just mute myself. And- <laughs>
3: You're having a bad day today, Loris. a bad
0: year at the moment, but it can change. It can change. Trust I feel like me. you
3: need to go out, have a nice breakfast with your wife, have some avocado and toast, have a nice cup of coffee and chill out.
0: Well, I think what I need to do is put a on and start coaching. That's what I need to do. <laughs> Because you know, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm itching all over at the moment, it's killing me.
3: Okay, let's move on to the premiership action Friday night. So, Exeter, pay a visit to Franklin's Gardens. It wasn't the most exciting of first halves, uh, despite the Chiefs taking the lead midway through the second half. Thanks to a couple of tries from Joe Sidmans, it was ultimately uh, Northampton who came away with the win, Steve Saints. We'll finally feel I think that they're moving in the right direction. You kind of feel like that this was kind of a big win for them, really, just to not lose connection, you know, with the top part of the league.
5: Yeah, the into top four. I mean, albeit that they've played two games more than Gloucester. But um I think the other two tries obviously from Tommy Freeman, who give Eddie Jones a little bit of a nudge on his return from injury. But yeah, the first half was pretty tough to watch. <laughs> It was a game pretty much dominated by the boot. I mean, although um, Finn Smith, again, perfect with his 16 points, he's now hit 12 out of 12 kicks at goal since he moved over from Worcester. So uh, there's a lot of positive signs there for what they've got going forward.
3: And then the first of Saturday's games, also Sharks returned to their winning ways. They beat Gloucester 27-17 at AJ Bell. Um, only Gloucester's second defeat of the season, but George Givenson did have 11 players away on international duty. So there were a few Cherry and Whites making their first premiership starts. Warren, from a coaching perspective, how difficult is it in club rugby, I guess, when your star players are away It's easy to say isn't it it's an opportunity to bleed youngsters in but you still want to win
4: oh absolutely and and that's a real challenge isn't it so how do you you know particularly early on in the season and you've got to stay in in contention you know if you've got a a team full a lot of internationals but then you've got to be giving some of those youngsters some time in the middle so that when you do need them and you need them in these sort of weekends that they can go and hopefully perform and that's a challenge for them and always say that one of the things about coaching is you can't coach experience and you learn from uh, being out there and and playing and so those guys, you know, they'll they'll benefit from that, some of those youngsters who are getting those opportunities and building some combinations and then you bring the big boys back and you know, hopefully you can continue to build momentum and you've had players in the squad who have you know had some time and that's like I said the thing about you know club rugby, you you have got that ability to drop a couple of games and work on a few things and it hopefully doesn't wreck your whole season if you can continue to build on that and you know finish strongly towards the end and, and make the playoffs and be strong in the playoffs.
3: Up at Kingston Park, it was... More disappointment for Newcastle as visitors Bath notch up their first away win of the season. They leave the Falcons now at the bottom of the table alongside London Irish. Lawrence, Newcastle, they've had a, a couple of weeks without any games and they just didn't really seem to get going, I guess, against Bath. What does your old mate Dave Walder need to do or need to focus on to try and change the fortunes of his team?
0: I mean, it's a tough one. Dave is operating in a different budget from a lot of other teams, a different squad, and at that time he's, he's trying to create a... Maybe a change of style. You know, they've, they've obviously got a strong set of forwards, and you just got to be difficult to beat at home. And Newcastle, when they play well and they get it right, there's a lovely way about the way that they play. But I think he's probably um, just learning that if you lose one or two players, does that mean that you've got to change the way you play to get the results that you want? And that's the challenge, isn't it, really? Yeah. But, I, you know, I, I like what they do. They're in games, but they're just not able to close them out.
3: Yeah, okay, let's head down to Ashton Gate then. Bristol hosted Saracens. Pretty dodgy conditions down there. It was like, 30 minutes, I think, before we saw uh, the first score with a little moment of magic from Max Malins, we saw him go over the line. But despite the couple of tries for the Bears in the second half, the game ended with misery for Packland's men The Saris made it 8 from 8. Poor discipline, Steve, seemed to lead to Bristol's downfall, really. 18 of Saracen's 25 points coming from penalties.
5: Yeah, and um, those 20 points for Alex Good, who was uh, last week's, obviously, record-breaker, it um, still fascinates me that, that Malins scoring that try is a great... Chip and chase, wasn't it? But obviously, playing against the team he's going to be playing for next season. So it's always one of those ones where you're, you're giving them a taste of what's to come, really. But um, Saracens, yeah, still on fire. Could they actually go the whole season unbeaten? You never know. I mean, they're showing the strength and depth to be able to do it.
3: Okay, let's go on to our most outstanding player of the weekend then.
1: Outstanding. <laughs> Supported by Fuller's London Pride.
3: Steve,
1: you'll get your vote. I'm actually going to go back
5: to Sale's win. I'm going to go with Josh Beaumont. I thought he was outstanding in that game for them. They really needed a win. He's been back playing this season. He's had a really terrible, tortuous 15 months, a couple of bad knee injuries. But I think after they had a couple of defeats, I thought they really needed to get back on to winning ways. And I thought he was
0: outstanding.
3: Love?
0: I think Gats touched on it earlier. I was very impressed with the performance of Ardy Surveyor as a, just as one player who affected a game. But um, I'm going to go back to Wayne Barnes. I think uh, we need to mark the moment was outstanding. He's the best referee in the world, uh, has been for a very long time. I think the job of refereeing has got so much harder, but he's just such a dude when he goes out there. The way he speaks to the players, the game is about respect. How you speak to the referee and how the referee speaks to you is really important. How he referees the game. And I just think he's brilliant. So 100 caps... Joins Nigel Owens will probably overtake him this week, I think. But uh, I think he's been outstanding, not just for England to represent England, but also for the world of rugby.
3: Warren, who are you going for?
0: For me, it has to be Adi Savia. I thought he was just. Uh,
4: one-man wrecking machine in terms of the way that he carried. But I thought the other player who played exceptionally well, was the best game he's played in a long time was Aaron Smith. You know, he's been quiet this year. He's quiet for the Highlanders in Super Rugby, been quiet for the All Blacks, and uh, that he made a couple of breaks, scored two tries. He looked as sharp as he has been for a long time. But uh, Adi Sabia, I mean, he was just, uh, you know, a guy who can play six, eight, and 7 as well. You know, he, he caused Wales uh, numerous headaches.
3: I'm just going to take it back to the Premiership and I'm going to go Finn Smith. And like, you know, I thought he was great at the weekend. He was good last week. As Steve said, he hasn't missed a kick yet. He's only 21. got pretty big boots to fill now, hasn't he? With Dan Bigger going. But I think Saints have got a good one there. Um, OK, a very quick look then at what awaits us next weekend. In terms of Premiership, uh, it's round 10. Quick prediction on who you think will come out on top of this weekend's fixtures. Uh, Bath host Leicester, Steve, who are you going with that?
5: Well, Bath on a run, two in a row, and Leicester not played for a few weeks. Uh, could be a leveller. I'm
0: going to go for a Bath home win.
3: Lowell, Newcastle, they travel to Gloucester. Well, I think
0: we'd say um, Gloucester, Exeter and Saris will win the next three games. I mean, because, it, 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 you know, you're playing at home And I think those sides are very, very strong, and they want to keep the momentum going. So I think it'd be very hard pushed to say that none of those three sides will win at home.
3: Right. So I don't need to ask then. (laughs) X Okay, fine. Uh, We move on to internationals, then, should we? England they welcome Japan to Twickenham. Lawrence, I mean, they'll be very different prospects to Argentina.
0: Well, I mean, every side is a is is a different prospect, and the reaction you'll see from England will be there. You know, so when you play against a team that have just lost, it's a you know, as a coach, it's like the time timing's not great because. But there's that fascinating subplot as well, Betty Jones and John Mitchell. And I'm not going to get Warren engaged on that, but one of the reasons why England are not performing well is the message keeps changing because the the, the assistant staff keep churning every time, you know, it's like a revolving door. And uh, if it's a revolving door, then you're going to have problems. And, uh, Mitchell's now gone first to Wash and then over to Japan. You know, you've got the former Australia coach and the former All Blacks coach working together for England. Now they're not working together and they're, and they're back against each other. So I'm fascinated by that because they both know each other's strengths and weaknesses. And that makes it very intriguing.
3: Yeah, because, Warren, as a head coach, I mean, you throughout your career, you kind of like that consistency, didn't you? Of working with, you know, the same people. Is, is that important?
4: Oh, I think it's it happens over a bit of time it's a trust that you build up and comfortable developing young coaches I can remember when Robert McBride I mean we kept him on as forwards coach when I first came to Wales and he'd only just finished playing for a couple of years and I remember the first few weeks I was going oh my god what have I got here because he was still kind of had that player mindset he would get the huddle of the F this F that F that (laughs) like he was motivating the players and uh, he's turned out to be an absolutely outstanding coach over a number of years and just for me, it was great to see that development, and yeah, you want to build up. We changed medical staff and some strength and conditioners on the way and stuff, and but we're pretty consistent with our coaching team. And one of the things with me is I love being challenged. I have no problems with coaches challenging me or players challenging me because it's all about us getting better. And if you're comfortable with that, because I'm going to challenge them, uh, we're not always going to agree on everything, and we're going to have discussions and debates and then you've got to come together and have a consensus and you know everyone be on the same page so yeah definitely building that relationship and knowing that they've got your back and we're all working together the, and everyone with the same sort of philosophy over a period of time so you get people you like you trust that obviously they've got to be quality and the players have got to got to respect them as well and that makes a huge amount of difference too so um yeah i've been lucky in that respect
2: Brilliant.
3: And then we've obviously got Wales are playing Argentina, Ireland, Fiji, Italy, Australia and France next opponent, South Africa. That's going to be a good. And Scotland hosts New Zealand. OK, Lol, well, shall we move forward to Tackle then?
1: Tackled. <laughs> Supported by Fuller's London Pride. Warren, I think I know the answer to some of these
0: questions, but not all of them. Your full name, please. Is Warren David Gatland. Must be Sir Warren David Gatland <laughs> by now, isn't it? I'm only a CBE. I'm only an OBE. Other people's best efforts, trust me. Uh, <laughs> Favourite takeaway? I'm not really a big takeaway, but Subway.
3: Subway.
0: Yeah. What was the last movie you watched? Top Gun. <laughs> what, The Maverick? Or... <laughs> yeah. 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 watched Top what Gun. Do you, uh, what, do you, what do you have for breakfast? What does Warren Gatland have for breakfast? Oh... Tea and toast, basically. That's you know, pretty, pretty simple. And your nickname is either a player or as a coach, Gats, Gatty? Yeah, Gats,
4: Gatty. Gatty in Ireland,
0: Gats sort of in Wales and England, but yeah. Now, you're not one for fame, but uh, who's the most famous person in your phone book? If I took out all the rugby people and and
4: all the sports people in my phone book, probably uh, Ruth Jones, Rob Bryden.
3: Nice.
0: Nice. Um, and who would play you in a film about your life, or who would you like to play you? Oh, I'd be, have to be George Clooney, wouldn't
3: I? Aim <laughs> <laughs> hey, high, Warren. Hey, Aim <laughs> high.
0: Who's the funniest person you know, Gats?
4: Bobby Sturgeon have to be the funniest person I know. Yeah, Paul
0: Sturgeon yeah. is the fitness yeah. conditioner for uh, for Wales, Wasps, Lions. Everywhere, yeah. everywhere Gats has yeah. gone, yeah. uh, he's there. And that's you know, you need people to make you laugh. And boys, can that, Absolutely. that make you laugh? Yeah. Are you dog or cat person in, in the Gatlin house? Dog, yeah. Uh, and I know you like a little sing song. What's your karaoke song if, if Gats has to get up and sing to celebrate? Oh, it's an old one, Durham Town. I've got to leave old Durham Town.
3: I don't know that one, Warren. Can you sing
4: That's it? Good. I've got to leave old
5: Durham. Roger Whittaker. Yeah. Roger Whittaker, yeah.
0: Yeah. I stole it off one of my Irish friends. He used to sing it all the time. Who's your ideal dinner party guest or guests?
4: I'd be interested in having dinner with uh, The Rock, Dwayne Johnson.
0: I think he'd be interesting. Yeah, he seems funny as well. Who is the best rugby player of all time in your eyes? Who's the guy that you re- really admired as a player?
4: Oh, I think Colin Meads. I think was, you know, sort of nearly 20 years in the All Blacks and coming from a province that was a small province. He was an absolute legend in the games, you know, particularly in New Zealand. And, you know, a lot of people, they'll know the name but wouldn't remember him. But, you know, he was a freak in terms of, fitness a modern
0: lock now you know, he's about six three, six four. but in those days he was a colossus for the all blacks and and as we are a, a premiership rugby podcast as well what's been your proudest premiership moment as a coach
4: I'll tell you my proudest premiership moment it was a terrible performance well it wasn't a terrible performance was when we beat bath in the final in 2005 because we'd won the european cup on the sunday before as you well know and then so the boys partied on the sunday and then they partied on the monday and then they partied on the tuesday and we thought we've got a final to play against bath on Sundays. we turned up for trading on the wednesday a couple of trading sessions thursday friday and we won the game 10-6 i think was that was the score and we didn't play that well, <laughs> obviously, with that scoreline having um celebrated. But there was a couple of things. I remember Trevor Leota, he couldn't hit a barn door with his line-out throw. We lost 11 of 13 line-outs when he was on. And great story about Alex King saying um, Stuart Abbott was, a, it was our line-out throw and, and Stuart Abbott saying to Alex King, Kingy, Kingy, what's the call? And Kingy turns around and said, are you taking the piss? Get up and defend. So, But it was something that just clicked in the last twenty minutes. So it was kinda like actually we haven't played that well and we got in front and just that winning mentality and then there was no way that Bath and Bath couldn't get out of their own half in the last sort of last period of the game and um, you know, we went on and we just we controlled the last quarter. And I look back and I went go, you know, after those celebrations and then to you probably wouldn't have three days on the drink, you might only have one and get back to training on the Monday, but you know, it was a, an amazing celebration in terms of winning the European Cup. But then the boys had to front up, and, you know, it was only six days later. So that's a challenge in itself. And then to win, you know, a third premiership in a row was pretty special. I look back in and go, actually, that took some character and that took some real courage. And even though not a big score line, but boys dug deep when they needed to.
0: Excellent stuff. Well, Warren, thanks for being our guest this week. It's been an amazing listen. And with any luck, we'll see you this side of the world when all those contracts (laughs) get put in front of you. You remember to choose the right one. You need a forwards coach. You know where I am.
3: (laughs) (laughs) And don't forget, guys, because Warren's got three more dates for his tour to go as well. Aberystwyth on Tuesday evening. Sanded not on the 14th of November. And then Cardiff on the 16th. So if you want to hear some more great stories from the man himself, then do check out those details online.
0: Well, that's all for this episode of the Evening Standards Rugby Podcast, supported by Fuller's London Pride. Don't forget, you can watch the full extended video episode of this podcast at londonpridebeer.co.uk.
3: And if you've enjoyed listening, then make sure you're following us so you don't miss any more future episodes. Now, one final bit of news before we finish. It's actually Steve's last podcast with us for now. Anyway, uh, Steve, we're going to miss you.
5: Yes, I'm going to miss you guys too. It's um, back to the day job for me. Um, the Evening Standard have managed to find the budget to take on a new rugby correspondent, Nick Puriwell, and he will be uh, joining you next week for that episode. But I am on standby. Should anything go wrong, I will be back.
3: Oh, Steve, it's been great working with you.
0: Thank you. You too. And we'll be back next week with all the rugby news
1: and another great guest. So until then, thanks for listening and goodbye. The Evening Standard Rugby Podcast with Lawrence Delalio, supported by Fuller's London Pride. Official beer of Premiership Rugby. Support with
0: Pride. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions.
2: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm, Hello Fresh